Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Adam Barrett, an expert reliability engineering consultant and the owner of Apex Ridge Reliability. And they discuss how the CTO is often alone as the bridge between the technology and business sides of an organization, the value of being able to make great infographics, and the importance of getting constant feedback from your team. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. The thing that gets me jazzed, like more anything, always since day one of my life, is like technology to make it into something useful, right? And like, and so I've been lucky enough to make my career about that. Like, all right, we have this invention. How do we make it really useful and really valuable being, you know, that it's very robust, good product that has the features we want. So I, I don't think I want to walk away from that or ever walk from that. What, what's occurring is I'm seeing or have all this other value, you know, that I have from having been in that arena for so long, I've observed the arena around that, you know, the leadership arena and how it works. And now because of so much exposure to that, I've created all these other methods and ways to help. And there's no reason I can't do it in parallel, you know, and, and that's where, because if you talked to me like a year ago, I would be like, more like what you're saying, leave one thing to go to the other, because I get brought in to help teams, uh, you know, te- you know, leadership brings me in to help their technical teams. And then what always happens is sooner or later, the CTO is like, Hey, can we meet every week too? Because I kind of like what you're saying about whatever, or, or just, you know, yesterday I was with a, uh, a director it was like late at night, we're still sitting on talking. And, you know, he was like, you speak so concisely. He's like, you so concisely just put in plain language, just, you know, these things. And, you know, and I know he's going to be like reaching out to me next week, like, Hey, can we talk about this again? So I was almost in my mind, like, Oh, I should pr- promote myself, like what you're saying and like leave back my old thing and go do this new thing. But I think it's not that I think I'm always going to help people on both levels, like, and at the same time, uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm trying to yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to figure out how to navigate that kind of stuff. Oh, for sure. Some some people I've seen um, do this thing that we're kind of talking about is they'll find like a protege or like the next generation of them that's like really going after it and sort of like bring them in to help free up their time. Or there's I've seen it happen a, a number of different ways from bringing them in as business partners to just bringing them on um, like as full time, you know executives to all, all sorts of ways to set yourself up so that you're working like on your business versus in your business type deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's tricky. And I've been experimenting with that a lot. I go through a lot of people. <laughs> Just, yeah. They don't last long if they don't perform right. I find even like poor marketing people. I'm like, no, nah, it's not what I wanted. Next. <laughs> there. Um, yeah. But it, it, it is tricky that, that it really is. A, it, that is a whole interesting journey that I've gone through. Like you owning a business is, you know, you have the core thing of the business that, you know, is of such interest to you and like spending your time. But then once you you becoming somebody who runs a business, you now have to wear like five other hats like every day, all day. It is interesting to figure out how do you get weave people into that in a way that you want. So, yeah, well, that's that's the challenge, but there's also awesome reward. How is your book coming along? Oh, uh, yeah, great. I've well, well, I've so what you're referencing is I was picking your brain um, a few weeks ago. I called you up and uh, I was like, "Hey, you got a second? Because I was 
I spent a week, I was very lucky. I spent a week down in, uh, in Manhattan and, uh, a lot of some other leaders, CEOs, CTOs, and some other people kind of in the consulting world, we were together and I kind of had this interesting moment of realization and all this casual conversation was, I would say previous to that week, I was thinking that the CEO is very aware of what's going on in the technology development side and how it affects their decisions. Um, and the CTO is just a deeper version of that, where they're one step deeper in this, the technical side than the business side. When I came away from that weekend, I just had this realization of like, holy cow, the CTO is the front line between the technology and business side. Like there is, the CEO doesn't even think about that stuff at all. Like it's not even, you know, they, they aren't digging, they aren't, I don't know, what's the right wording? But effectively, if you were to ask the CEO, hey, you know, or try to talk with them about anything kind of in the more technological way of what's going on, what's advancing, what are the challenges, what's going to make even the business part work or not work if this, you know, let's say you're developing Bluetooth, right? You know, um, what stage do we have to be at to launch? Do we want to incorporate this in this product? I was surprised how much they defer to not not my thing, not my problem. <laughs> you know, I, I was really shocked to how shallow their their interest and you know um, knowledge was on it. Now, not that they're not, but from my perspective, and how much I came away with this image that the CTO is like they're like standing between like almost like in a doorway if one room's a technical and the other, and they're like the front line. They're they're the last line of connecting the the business and the technology side and you know, the, the crazy way those are entangled with you're developing stuff, you know, on a timeline, not knowing what's going to happen with the technology or how it translates into a product. And you're, you're providing input to, you know, everybody else about the business side and all managing all that. And actually what I call the product factor balance in a program and just kind of how alone they were in that. Like, you know, they really were at the front line. So um, I thought about that and I was like, you know, I kind of feel like there's something here where if, you know, I could, there's a lot there to talk about and do. Um, and uh, what were they focused on? I'm sorry. What What did you find the CEOs were more focused on, or did you just notice that they, you know, were kind of? The funny thing is, and I don't, I want to say this in a good way, but the CEOs, in some way, it felt like they were a puppet to the shareholders, like a like like you know the CEO navigates the ship, but the you know, there's something, a bigger force out there, which is the market, you know, which is the bottom line, the dollar, the board, the investors that they have to respond to in complete compliance at the times that there are needs. So if, you know, the CEO can be, could be an ex-engineer, right? Who's now a CEO and they love the technology getting that. They get a phone call saying, Hey, we're going to do another round of fundraising. Guess what, buddy, you're on stage. You better, you know, like that's, all they're going to do is be on the phone with Wall Street and articles and, you know, just and, and going through numbers and trying to get everybody to organize what they need to organize to impress the investors like that. That's it. That's all that that's all they're going to be focused on at that point. And then a few weeks later, it'll be something else. So I think that that's kind of what some of it is, is the CEO, you know, we talk about wearing actually, that's kind of funny. There's there's a full loop in our conversation. You and I were talking about we wear a lot of hats, right? And if something's blowing up in our business, that gets all our attention because we wear all those hats. That's the CEO, right? So the CTO, they don't wear all those different hats. They have a hat. They are the the link, the the last link, the front line between the technology and the business, right? So 
So I, I actually, yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. That kind of crystallized it a little bit. Is that the CEO has so many roles as the captain of the ship that they or things they could be focusing on that whatever they need to focus on at that moment they're focusing on and and they really, you know, everything else they have to defer to their second in commands, right? To the roles they have. I'm kind of picturing now like a World War II movie and a captain of a ship. Of course, Tom Hanks will be in that movie, but <laughs> he loves his World War II stuff. But, um, but you know, that's kind of it, right? You see, you know, in a battle situation, you know, some the, a ship, you know, that's where you see like, you know, is this on fire? And the captain's trying to figure out how to get on fire. Okay, the submarines are coming. How do we deal with that? Okay, the aircraft, how do we deal with that? Okay, navigation, what's happening? Oh my God, an iceberg. And, you know, like, but, but, like air traffic bah. controllers. Yeah. 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 It's um, now. There was a time when I thought that all CEOs were founders. So like for some reason in my mind, you know, you enter the market at some point, you're a kid and you're having fun and then you get into business. And then, you know, because I was a co-founder and our founder of, you know, my businesses, I just assumed, oh, when I reach out to a CEO there, we're going to have all this in common. And then I started to find out that they are like not in control. A, there's a lot of them that are not the founders, right? And typically, that's why I started to notice that the founders will actually put like founder slash CTO or just founder or something like that. And that I, I realized that there's a whole level of, of people that are just CEOs and they often uh, have a core responsibility of executing the board's vision. Yeah, And so then you've got these very wealthy people that sit on these boards and investments and own multiple companies and things and manage lots of money. And then they sort of give down to the CEO what they want to happen. And then that CEO executes on that vision. And then they get compensated a lot because those really wealthy people don't want to have to touch it. I th- that you just very that was very articulate what I stumbled upon saying there for try five minutes. But yeah, exactly. They they to some degree. I don't want to use the word like servant or you know. Um, but yeah, they're they're serving somebody else's whatever they want at, at that time. Exactly. And, and it's kind of We're funny you say that about them not being a founder. They're professional. They're professional in that role, right? And that's why. And the controls are the same company to company, which is why they can so easily go from company to company because. Yep. Yeah, the the roles they have the same product, they have accounting. Set. Whether it's a food product or a technology product, they have that and accounting, and the P and Ls are the same everywhere you go. And balance sheets are. I mean, there's some differences in industries yeah. on how you yeah. do the accounting, but yeah, it's. Um, uh, but I will give it. There are awesome CEOs out there <laughs> who who have. I've I've met them. I've met some some people who you could tell that they should be a founder, but for some reason they're not. But one of, one of the things that I really enjoy about um, the founders and the board is often when the founder is the CEO or is in control, whatever their title is, when they're in control and running the company, it, it's a shorter distance to the marketplace because while there often is a board, that the board's listening to the founder, right? right. Um, and their opinion weighs much heavier. Right. So I, that's why I think companies that have founders uh, running them, uh, founders that are capable and want to run them, running them, <laughs> uh, that they tend to be some of the best companies uh, in the world. And case in point, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. Right. Right. And the founder thing, too, is kind of funny. That's also why there's so many founders that get booted by the board, right? Because it's either what you said, where the founder has all this tremendous value, such a deep connection to it, or 
the person who creates it is not also going to be the same person that has the right skill set to run it, right? If they're looking at the boards, looking for that person who's just going to do what they say, that's not a founder. A founder is a trailblazer. Like, you know, they're not going to yeah. just do what you tell them. So the, that dynamic has to either go one way or the other. The board respects them as having, like Elon Musk, just a knowledge that, you know, and a ability to visionary that you can't match and you would lose. But there might be a point where the right thing to do for Tesla is to have Elon Musk just go off and do something else, right? Because he is an innovator. And I mean, like, you know, this week he's, he's trying to buy Twitter. Like, it's just like, what are you, you just, were you bored again? You know, and he has so many plates spinning that at some point that could be a detriment to where Tesla is at the point where it's at, because the machine is already made that makes the machines, right? Just let it keep running, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah, that is, that is really neat. Yeah, have you listened to like long form interviews with him with Elon? Um, on a, on occasion, not recently. I haven't. Yeah, he 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 sort of will go into like detail on like how he thinks about these things, and he um he does step down from some things. Like I can't remember. I don't have the exact one now, but I remember more than once I've seen him like back out of something uh, because he didn't have the attention to give to it. But you're right, man. He's got Neuralink. He's got SpaceX. He's got Tesla. He's got the boring company. I mean, he's got, he's Starlink. got a lot going on. He, Starlink, he yeah. does these things like people pick up hobbies. Like it's crazy. And they're six, yeah, well, I mean, if you had, if you were the richest man in the world, come on. Like, no, you just but have, it's like, not even that. I mean, well, compare Jeff Bezos, right? Jeff Bezos, you know, we we compare those two because they're both billionaires. What it, Jeff Bezos has done one thing, e-commerce. His space program is just, he just hired a bunch of SpaceX engineers and made an amusement park ride. You know, so it's not just the money. He's just an <laughs> unbelievable innovator. You know, he's an unbelievable innovator. He just, I mean, like you said, Hyperloop. He came up with Hyperloop and he's like, I don't have time for this. Just here, everybody, here's the idea. You know, like that thing alone is unbelievable. Yeah, he's, he's on a different level. I know. He's a s super cool guy. Um, I I hope one day that I get to meet him. I think it'll be kind of cool. The problem is with me like wanting to do that, it's like, I don't know what I'd say to him. I'd walk up to him and be like, thank you. I don't want to waste any more of your time. Go do more cool stuff for us. No. Yeah, there's no, don't meet your hero. Yeah, two things. Don't meet your heroes. And what do you, that, that's almost like you and I talking to that artificial intelligence we were talking about that's a thousand times smarter than you. Like, what am I possibly going to say that's interesting to him? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. But we, we are going to have um, the creator of that Sophia like robot on the show. Do, have you heard of that Sophia robot? It's like the yeah. most humanoid robot or whatever. And, She's yeah. been on the news and stuff. So yeah. I'm going to see if he'll actually bring Sophia on the show. I know he's coming on, the creator. But yeah. I'm going to see if he can bring Sophia on and maybe like ask her some questions or like crowdsource oh some questions we should ask her. Yeah. Oh, that'll be so cool. Right? Hey, um, in your notes, you had Minard or Minard infographics. What, what oh, is Minard. that? So it, it's that. If you can see it, I, I have it on the wall oh. behind me, the the poster, and I put it there because I want to. I think it's so significant. Other people who know it, I want to. I want to pull them out of a conversation if they see it. So uh, Menard is is kind of recognized as one of the first like really significant infographics. And what you see in that image there, and maybe you'll put it up somewhere in your notes in your podcast, is uh, Napoleon's march on Russia, and what. Infographics are, and one of the people who I, I, I got to hear speak very fortunately is Tufty, um, who does a lot on infographics, is can you create a graphic that can communicate information at multiple levels at the same time? 
So in other words, can a single graphics, to me, this is my definition of a good infographic. Can it provide a single piece of information to you within a 30 second glance? Can it also support a two hour debate? And that by far is one of my favorites. Oh yeah, I see you're pulling it up. Is this it? That's it. It's so this was done in 1812. 1812. And so basically for people that can't see it, first of all, go subscribe to our YouTube. <laughs> Secondly, uh, it's this crazy graph that's uh, looks like a, a line chart, right? But there's multiple lines and it's got a lot of different things going on. It's actually surprisingly a cool infographic. If somebody showed me that and told me that was created in 1812 to 1813, yeah. I would say you're lying. Yeah. So. so here's the thing. Now I'm going to begin to describe it to you and also show you how we can take something out of it within 30 seconds and also support a two hour, a two hour debate. Wait, I'm going to bring it up on my screen to bigger, or actually I'll just, I'll make yours larger. So there's really just three main lines here. There's that tan line that's different. So it changes width. there's a black line that changes width, and on the bottom, there's a single width line that goes up and down. So what this does is it communicates in amazing detail what went wrong in the tragedy of Napoleon's march on uh, on Russia. So this was it's the eighteen yeah. So the what you realize when you look at it because it's in French, but even though it's in French, you still can get a tremendous amount of information. So what you realize is the width of the lines are how many troops there were, and the color is the direction. So the tan is marching towards Moscow and the black is marching back. And so you get to see the unbelievable devastation of going, I think, from like 400,000 troops coming back with only 10,000. Mm. And that alone right there shows this was an unbelievable di- disaster. So, you know, th- there's your 30 second, your 30 seconds. Wow. Napoleon went to march on Moscow, went in with 422,000 troops and came back with 10,000 troops. Uh, I disagree. I mean, they could be partying in Moscow. (laughs) Oh yeah, you're right. I didn't think of that. They got great raves. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So here we go. So now we go into the debate part, like I said. So there's my 30 second thing. Now we're debating. You think that they, they just liked Moscow and stayed, but here, here's my, here's my response to that. Why did they show the temperatures on the bottom there? That that's that line. That's a consistent length with is showing temperatures, degrees Celsius. So why did they add that? And then you realize, okay, so the population dwindled. Why would you just have temperature be something else? Well, temperature clearly had something to do with it. And you're like, oh, the biggest part of this disaster was the temperature. That's what Napoleon, the mistake he made was not accounting for the Russian winter. So then Uh, let's, uh, I'm just going to accelerate where this conversation would go. Unless we're going to do a Joe Rogan four hour podcast. But the, um, (laughs) so the, but, but then, then next you see how Russia used that as a weapon, temperature as a weapon. So what you'll see is in some parts, there are steps in the, in the width, like it's, it's this wide and it steps down, steps down and without moving in geography. So that's a battle, right? If you have a lot of people die in one spot, that's a battle. And what you notice is there's a bunch of battles and then there's not, and you just see it dwindle down more linearly. So Russians decided they couldn't stop Napoleon. So they said, we'll just let the Russian winter take care of them. And they just retreated all the way back to Moscow, burning, burning and destroying all resources along the way. And there was no more like stepped fights. And they just let winter decimate his military. When they got to Moscow, 
in Moscow, they had uh, taken out like all the like supplies, food, everything and evacuated it. So Napoleon's army got there exhausted, frozen to death in a mess, and there was nothing to eat or do or take over. And they just left. (laughs) And then it got really ugly because then coming back, it just was, they were just getting picked off every night, you know, by the winter and the like, so anyway, so that's a good infographic. It basically is a picture with three lines on it for all practical purposes that easily could be used in reference if you and I wanted to debate what happened in Napoleon's March. Pretty that amazing. sounds fun, though. I like it's it. It's cool. And and the reason uh, I, I did a whole... that they're partying in Moscow. <laughs> or they're partying in Moscow. But I did a whole seminar uh, called Data is Beautiful because I think this is very important in engineering. And I think it's very important because engineers have their own language in their own world. But if we don't connect to business, the CTO... Right. Again, the CTO is stuck in that line between the two. And the infographic is a really great way to pass that information in through that doorway that he's has one hand in both. If you can learn how to do really good infographics as a technical person, it is unbelievable the power you can have in influencing leadership and not influencing them in a way of like getting what you want, but in helping them make good decisions. So I make a really big deal when I'm involved with teams um, of having them make infographics that use input um, you know, from everybody to become a standardized way to see something. Because if that Napoleon's March was on a hallway, you know, like pretend Napoleon had his headquarters out in Seattle or whatever, right? And and they had their big offices with the glass windows and you had that poster on the wall that was getting updated every week. How are my troops doing, right? That's a great infographic. You'd be able to see, go past it and be like, oh, things are going really bad, worse than last week. Or if Napoleon had his Friday afternoon steering meeting, <laughs> with his other guys, you could put that up and, and use it to discuss what's going on and not have the slide or information drive the conversation, but support it because that single graphic can help support wherever the conversation happens to go. Yeah. And that's like the root communication and influence yeah. and all those things are necessary. I don't think they're so magical anymore. When I first started this podcast, they were very mystical or magical to me. I had no understanding of like influence. I kind of thought it was like a negative word. And then I came to realize that, well, you can't run up to somebody and say, you know, I'm going to be influential to you. <laughs> the way it, the way it happens is you bring them value, like consistently you bring them value. And that's one of the ways, one of, one of the ways to, to gain influence. And so I was like, oh, okay. So you just have to be really useful to other people and right. you'll, you'll gain influence. And you know, I it's I think it's really hard to get ahead with nefarious intentions. That's just like I'm the exact opposite of that. Yeah, no, but I mean, you no, know, but your point's well taken. I mean, think about you say add value. I mean, we just spent a great amount of time talking about a sketch somebody did 200 years ago. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like it's it's that valuable, right? Even though we don't even though we don't care about Napoleon, his thing's so valuable. His method of how he did it, you know, is so valuable to us. Um, and oh, I agree with that without it, without a doubt. I think a lot of really great sustained success comes from how do I add value? Well, again, going back to Elon Musk, that's his thing, right? It's not to make money. He's never been to make money. It's how do I improve humanity? Like he's even going beyond just general value. He yeah. says that's what guides him and his actions seem to be, um, consistent with that. I'm not a fanboy. I, if you, if I found out he was nefarious or horrible, I'd be like, all right, well, there you go. It's another billionaire. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so no, it's it's true. By the way, isn't that so funny? Like the only way you can get money is by being useful to other people. And then we look at billionaires as evil. And by that definition, they're the most useful people. 
Well, I, 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 well, it's, I think it's more dynamic than that. I think that the first part's right. I mean, so look at, I mean, you could take Jeff Bezos, right? He almost looks like a, a character from a Bond movie who went from being the nice dorky guy to now, you know, this like evil, the enemy of the people, right? So if you start off, he was very much that, you know, how do I help and create advanced e-commerce and all that um, and added unbelievable value. He's changed the landscape of our lives. I mean, if there's something I want and I don't have it in two days, I'm just pissed. And then I'm like, oh my God, what? I'm mad because I can't get this random thing in two days. (laughs) He's changed the way I see my interface with products and people. But, But if you look at the business the way it is today and what he does with his time and everything is maximizing profit at the expense of his workers, right? His workers are miserable. Well, I don't, he's, you, not, he's not involved, is he? Well, he, he recently left, but while he was still CEO, you know, and, and we were started saying he's evil, um, at the same time he shaved his head, which kind of just really fit into the role. Um, all he needed was a white cat on his lap that he's just stroking as he's talking. But um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to be the full Bond villain. Um, yeah. But, but I mean, yeah, I mean, his whole thing was just these workers are in these horrible conditions and, and he's just like, eh, if that's what they'll, if that's the lowest dollar value I can get them to come in and work for, that's what I'm paying them. You know? And you're just kind of like, really? Like what? So, um, that's a different thing. He, he added a lot of value, but I think that, I don't know if the human minds keep really can healthily operate at that level of power and wealth, right? We seem to kind of come undone as a general thing. I mean, look at most leaders, right? All right. What else do we want to touch on? Um, so the split lock washer, <laughs> I was, I'm laughing because it's embarrassing, but I was looking at a NASA paper from 1990, you know, cause Saturday and, um, it was the best practices <laughs> for bolt, nut and bolt, nuts and bolts basically, you know, and how to have them stay together because that's fun. <laughs> and what, my jaw dropped when I was looking at it. And you know, you know what a split lock washer is? It's no, you've seen it a million. Well, a split lock okay. washer, it's a washer that has a cut in it, right? And it's a little yeah, bit. I know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, if you go to the hardware store, it's the thing that's next to all the nuts and bolts in the biggest quantity. You have mm-hmm. nylock nuts and star washers and other stuff, but they're in small packages up on the wall in a quantity of five. So clearly the other, you know, clearly split lock washer is the one you want. And it's what my dad used and his dad used and his dad used, right? Kind of thing. And, uh, wait, I'm actually, I'm actually, wait, I'm going to read to you. Cause I just was writing an article about it, but they wrote about it. Okay. So they wrote, this is what they, so they were ranking all these different ways to fasten stuff, everything from, you know, tapered threads to nylock to different patterns and bevels and teeth and all this stuff and scoring them. They didn't give a score to the split lock washer. Instead, they made this statement. Now, keep in mind, most of the world we know is held together with split lock washers. The lock washer serves as a spring while the bolt is being tightened. However, the washer is normally flat by the time the bolt is fully torqued. At this time, it is equivalent to a solid flat washer and its locking ability is non-existent. In summary, a lock washer of this type is useless for locking. What? <laughs> wait, wait, what? Like everything's held together with that. So my, what I think is interesting with that is, you know, so why is it the thing that's the most prevalent in the hardware store or what we always use or everything that you buy has that? Um, why aren't we seeing failures? We do. I mean, when you buy furniture, it comes with an extra wrench to tighten it every couple of years, whatever, a couple of months, you know, bicycles need tune-ups every spring, you know, your washing machine, your 
lawnmower makes a rattling noise. You know, they don't work and they do fail and we are okay with it. And the thing is that how many times do we take the old standby as the default? And it immediately made me think about when I'm working with teams, how many times the specs they're testing to or the guidelines they design to or stuff, I, I, I challenge it. I'm like, why? Why, you know, why are you saying that this failed this test? I'm like, where's this value come from? Oh, I don't know. My boss gave it to me. Where, where'd he get it? His boss. Where, where'd he get it? You know, and you dig into it and it came from nowhere. You know, it's the emperor's new clothes. So then the question is, how many things are you developing that A, are far more expensive than they need to be? They're far, you know, it's five times stronger than it needs to be, which is cuts out of your bottom line or are, have very low margin on failing, you know, with very stresses and variabilities. And you find these failures in the field and you kind of quickly bucket them in other things like, oh, that was a quality defect. Oh, it's whatever. But it's kind of constantly happening in the background. Every time the stress gets over a certain level, that's acceptable. Uh, you know, it's an acceptable stress for the use case, but causes failure. So the, you know, and how much is that costing you? And, and I, I saw, I kind of made this exercise or this little thing. I'm saying, Next time you have time, take your technical team, buy them lunch, get them in a room and just say, you know what, write down five standards that you go by or best practices that you don't know the origin of. Just write down five. And you know, if you have five people in that room, you're going to have 25 of them very quick on that board. Now imagine two of those are costing you some percentage failure rate or some percentage of overcost in your product. Those two could be costing you 10 million bucks a year, you know, and so taking a little time to dig into these things that we say, oh yeah, the split lock washer is next to the nut and bolt. I'll just use that in our, in our you know, how you operate your, your company and your product development. I think asking that question, you'll get a good return. I'll put it this way. You'll get a great return on investment on those sandwiches you bought the team. <laughs> so. uh, that's awesome. Man, this is great. I'm so glad you came back on and hung out with us for a little bit. Uh, anything we want to get out there into the world? What's your, what's your book? Where can people buy your book? Well, so the, the, the book you talked about, it's, it's kind of in the works. I, I, I submitted a proposal to some publishers. I'm kind of, uh, playing around with it a little, uh, a little bit. So, um, it might be called the CEO's Trinity. Um, but, um, yeah, no, but reliability culture, you know, which just came out last year is, is really what, uh, I'm very excited about. And it's about how leaders can, you know, build organizations that, you know, create amazing products, uh, and that can be what, at M- Je- Jeff Bezos sells it. You can buy it on Amazon. Jeff Bezos himself out of the, out of the back of one of his out cars. At the, the back yeah. of his yacht. Yeah, he has them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, yeah, no, re- reliability culture is really where a lot of, you know, I'm a lot, uh, be, being able to help a lot of advancement right now. And I think there's a lot of great stuff in there. Yes. All right. So buy that on Amazon, reliability culture. And you have a podcast too, Adam, right? Yeah, yeah. Reliability leader, yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your podcast. Yeah. Reliability Leader. It's, uh, it's in its third season now. And um, the focus is to help leadership and people who are involved in product development, you know, uh, better understand reliability practices. And I bring a lot of great guests on there, some really interesting people from industry and even from just business, you know, and, and kind of from their perspective. So yeah, Reliability Leader with Adam Barrett, um, third season now. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.